Hello, amazing Life Changers, family and friends. It is so good to see you. If you're visiting us this Sunday, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I trust you've enjoyed worship. I also wanna give a shout out if you haven't had a chance to visit us at our drive-through on a Sunday, every Sunday, serving some of the best coffee in Cape Town and giving you opportunity to bring blankets and serve our community and connect in communion bays. Why not take up the opportunity? Maybe you're watching the 8.30 service now and you can jump in your car and get you. We would love to see you and engage and do community as we always love to do. That being said, we are finishing our Prisoners of Hope series. It's week number four and we've had an amazing time. And we've seen and preached the Gospels and looked at being prisoners of the promise, prisoners of the presence and prisoners of the power of God in our lives, which keeps us at that place that we need to be. And this is how Zechariah 9 puts it. Return to your fortress, you prisoners, prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Who doesn't want that? Twice as much restored, that which has been taken away, that which has been lost, twice as much restored. Well, the mandate is there. Actually, God can and wants to do it. But here's what He's calling. He's calling to a people to return to your fortress, return to your safe place, your place of strength, where Jesus is glorious in your life, where He's everything in your life, the the safest and strongest place you can be. But today I want to jump and speak about the original cousin, the one well long before Barry Hilton ever entered the earth and trademarked my cousin, the original cousin, John the Baptist. Some background about this man and his story as we preach into being a prisoner of our expectations today. This man, John, was three months older than his cousin, Jesus. And the amazing thing that in ministry stature, although only three months older, was well ahead of Jesus. I mean, he was in the game. He had a following. He had presence. He had people taking notice of his ministry. He was leading the way in many amazing ways. He was not just a supporting act. He was a forerunner for Jesus, preaching repentance, preaching coming back to that place and responding to Jesus, responding to the story of the gospel, to the God who had always been there. He was this radical trailblazer that had gone before. He didn't care what anyone thought. He just got on with his story at that time. He was a a pioneer, a liberator, and in many ways, seemingly this pre-show to the main star Jesus that all of a sudden enters and well, we know. He was the king of kings and all that stuff. Hard to compete with your cousin when he's also the king of kings. Anyway, it wasn't about a a competition, but it was about this man who would have known Jesus as, yes, just his cousin. Yes, a carpenter, but then came to know him as the king of kings. Not just know him, but have a revelation in a moment. And I want to jump into that today as we speak about being a prisoner of our expectations I know we're supposed to do peas and presence and power and all those things. I asked permission of Gabe, but being PPE being such a big thing these days, I went with it anyway. So thank you, Gabe, for giving me the license. But you know, in our expectations, there's this big theme in relationships, in corporate worlds, in courses that are run, in management classes about managing expectations. It's a massive, massive thing. In marriages and relationships, they rise and fall on managing expectations. And it goes a little bit something like this. The wife says something like, you said for better or worse, and yet all you do is leave the toilet seat up and you never take your washing through. 
challenge. And then the guy responds, well, you said you would lay your life down for me. And this is a hypothetical scenario. But all I want to do is watch the Liverpool win the game one more time. One more time. Hypothetical scenario. I'm not saying it plays out in your home. But that's how expectations work. We say things. And the interpretation of those things develops expectations in someone else's heart. And then they call people to live up to it. And Jesus had to deal with this many times through his life. He would have had to manage all sorts of expectations from the disciples, from the people, from someone who's seen a miracle the one day and that is door next day. And now, from the parents who cried out, would you come and heal? Would you come? Some expectations realistic, some unrealistic. Some expectations optimistic, some with pessimistic views. Others full of hope, others with no hope and yet still managing expectations. See, marriages and work, and yes, our relationship with Jesus, we have expectations. Maybe COVID-19 and all that has happened. When you consider all that has happened, what are your expectations of your Savior, Jesus? Maybe you made statements like, I won't be retrenched. I'm loved by Jesus, hashtag blessed. I won't get a salary reduction. That'll be someone else in the company. I mean, what are your expectations of Jesus? And have they been met? And what are your disappointments in that relation? Because the reality is, if we're being honest as humans, it's often our unmet expectations. They seem to often align with, well, how do you put it? Unpromised promises. What do I mean? Well, Jesus never said you wouldn't be retrenched. And yet we have these expectations on Him. Jesus never said you would have tough, you wouldn't have tough days and you you would somehow be isolated and hidden away from the challenges of the world. Actually, in many ways, He said the complete opposite. And often we develop our expectations on these unpromised promises, if that makes sense. What Jesus did say though, what He said to John the Baptist and what He says to you today and to me, is that I'll be with you always to the very ends of the age. So we stand on those promises. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul who faced it all, saw it all, had every kind of challenge. He put it this way. According to my earnest expectation, you see, Paul had an expectation on the gospel in his life. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ with me even now, as always, be exalted in my body. If it had just stopped there, we would have gone, yeah, that's good, that's good. And then he finishes with this line, whether by life or by death. He had this expectation, there was a realistic expectation that whether he walks into the fullness by death or by life, he will hold on to the story. See, when people exceed our expectations, we stoked. Life's good. It's when our wife exceeds our expectations, when our boss comes with a bigger grow, uh, a kind of salary increase. When you go to the shop and you think it's going to cost 100 bucks and you only pay 80 bucks because there was a deal. Expectations exceeded. I'm coming back. The challenge is when people don't. The challenge is when they don't even meet your expectations. Why? Because our hearts are fragile things. Proverbs 13 verse 12 puts it this way. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, the challenges with unmet expectations, our hearts can actually become sick because our hope gets deferred. Back to John the Baptist, again, he's the cousin. 
He's in the family. He has this successful ministry. He gives up his followers for Jesus and he goes from being the best, this ministry of repentance and be baptized. Everyone, yeah, repent and be baptized. Jesus comes, goes, whoa, the Spirit of God comes upon me, full of grace and truth, King of kings and Lord of lords, a whole bunch of things. And everyone goes, John, your ministry was great, but this is Jesus. And he goes, this is Jesus. But I want to speak in the reality is, unlike his cousin, John was 100% human in everything. He wasn't God and called the son of a, he, he was John. He was a man, gifted and called for a time, for a purpose. And so I want to speak about expectations in this man's life. First and foremost, great expectations. My first point right there, great expectations. No, not the novel, not a book written by Charles Dickens. And for our Stormer supporters, Charles Dickens was never a supporter, a Stormer's player, just saying. But a young John the Baptist would have had great expectations of Jesus, of the unfolding gospel story, and what that would have meant for his life. And it goes like this, Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist prepares the way. If you want to know what it's all about, it's right there in those six words. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Even in those days, that was a bit weird. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chef with unquenchable fire. He's repeating prophecies about Jesus, but he's declaring them as a prophet to a people in a time who are looking for a Savior, for a Messiah. And boom, verse 13, then Jesus from Galilee came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do it this way, to fulfill all righteousness then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom him I'm well pleased. Whenever I preach that scripture or read that scripture, I just see Jesus. He's the star of the show. He's the everything. He's the fulfillment of every promise. It's Jesus. It's his story. But there was another player in that pool. His cousin. Someone he'd known all his life. Someone who had a ministry, someone who had a story and someone who would have had dreams for his life. And imagine, people would have come, hey John, you're the guy who got to baptize the Messiah. You, you're the guy. He would have had a whole bunch of followers on Instagram. He would have had everything going on in hashtag John the Baptist. And yet, I don't know, maybe even got a denomination named after him, one for the Baptist. Just saying, I'm not sure that is the case. But seriously though, in his world, in his, in his preaching and in his understanding of the gospel, well, repent, eternal blessing. Don't repent, hell. See, John had high expectations. How high were his expectations when he encountered Jesus? They were through the roof high. They were bet the farm high. They were put everything down and you should be watching this guy. 
He takes his ministry with people who are coming from cities around to him to be ministered and baptized. And he's going, you need to follow this guy. It's a radical thing. He gave up his ministry in many senses. Why? Because, well, repent and be baptized wasn't the full story anymore. Now it was follow Jesus. And secondly, he gave up his disciples. John 1 tells us, and it plays out the story of disciples of John, Andrew and Simon. They're walking along and Jesus just passes them by. And they start following him. He says, what you want? He says, no, teacher, we want to follow you, rabbi. They call him rabbi where they'd been following John. Now they're following Jesus. And we can imagine John who knew the promises, knew the prophecies, and part of him was going, yes, that's amazing. But there's another part of him going, great, I have expectations in this story too. And so let's be honest. We live in a world of expectations. Think back to the very first date you went on. The very first date. You, you saved up the bucks, you cleaned your car, you got your fanciest kit on, you, you put your fanciest smellies on, and, and you go and you introduce, and the invite to the date says, hey, no expectations, we can just be friends. That's what the nice guy says, that's what you have to say. But behind the scenes, you're like, I want you to be my baby mama for life. That's how it rocks. I'm just saying, yes, you can say that at church. I, I want more from this. I'm not taking you out to dinner. I'm not buying food I can't afford right now as a 21-year-old because I have a desire just to get to know one more person on the earth. I really like you and I invite you on this dirt because I have an expectation that maybe, maybe there could be more for us. That's how life works. And behind the scenes, that's the reality. But don't get me wrong. I think John had great expectations for the kingdom, great expectations for the gospel. But I think being human and in his humanness, he had great expectations for himself as well. And the challenge is where our great expectations start to clash with our failed expectations. We get stuck all too often. It happens like this when we get sick and we don't get healed in the time frame that we think and our expectations align with the gospel and our understanding. When, when we are out of work and someone else who did the same alpha course as us are out of work and they got the job first, you're going, that's not fair. When you're trying to fall pregnant, month after month, and it's not happening and people around you are falling pregnant by accident, you're going, expectations? What about the coronavirus where you've lost joy and you lost peace and you expected the hashtag blessed life and it's not working out well. The challenge is your expectations start colliding. You've got to realize what promises did Jesus make me and what promises didn't he make me. So we start out with great expectations. And point number two is not that complicated. It's, well, failed expectations. Anyone ever had those? Maybe even now, maybe you're dealing with that now. Maybe even wrestling right now with expectations of your spouse and how the season would go and how they would respond Maybe you thought they'd be more resilient in business. See, let's process Matthew a little bit further down the line and, and we're looking at John the Baptist. So our last encounter of John, his ministry striving, he baptizes Jesus. He's the man, he's on the top of the highlights reel. And then we see him again in Matthew 11 and things aren't so good, he's in prison. And this is how it goes. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Jesus' ministry is flourishing. His cousin is rocking. His cousin just happens to be the king of kings. The whole world is looking for him. It says that all of creation is crying out to know him and to see his sons and daughters. And the challenge in verse two, we see this. When John, who, is, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, 
are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's a radical question he asks. See, and the story plays out, we see in Matthew 14, a little bit more. John was put in prison because of uh, and arrested by the Tetrarch and Herod himself had married his own niece who previously was married to his brother. It was Netflix all over well before the time. It was scandalous. It was hectic. And John wasn't someone to back down. He wasn't someone not to have an opinion. He was an influencer in his time. So he had an opinion about Herod and that opinion got him into jail. Why? And then he hears, while he's in jail, and I don't know about you, but I don't think prison cell comfort was the big issue of the day. I don't think prisoners' rights was a massive issue of the day. I think the king got what the king wanted. And the king wanted the man who was judging his lifestyle. See, Herod was this playboy prince who bought palaces, pulled people into the stories, and you judged him, you got what was coming your way. And our man, John the Baptist, went on this meteoric career I don't know, tumble down a mountain, backward step. He went from the minister of the day to now in prison when his cousin went from no one knew his name, just a carpenter, to the saviour of the world. See, and these are his actual words he's asked. And it reveals his heart. Are you Jesus? Hey, my disciples, God asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Please understand between Matthew 3 and Matthew 11, he has been preaching. It's all Jesus. Follow Jesus. Get behind Jesus. Disciples go after Jesus. Everyone get behind him. This is the Savior. This is the prophesied one. This is the Messiah. But his circumstances change. His situation changes and he gets put in prison. And all of a sudden, his circumstantial reality starts conflicting with his expectations of how his story would go. Maybe Corona's done that for you. I think it's done for everyone. And our gospel story is never outside of our personal journey. And it's not outside of John's personal journey. And John's sitting in prison and he's saying, hey, disciples, in a moment of insecurity, in a moment of fear and anxiety, in a moment of little bit of doubt, hey, just go ask him, are you really the one? Because I didn't see you coming to earth. I didn't see the fulfilled Messiah prophecy landing me up in prison. And ultimately facing a horrendous death with my head on a platter dish for the queen. It, it wasn't how I mapped this thing out. And so he's having a moment of doubt. His true expectations are revealed. Why? Because he had allowed his expectations to go down a road of Jesus that actually Jesus never promised him. And so I want to land us and Jesus presents and speaks to him in such a gentle, kind way and actually presents it in such a way, he says, maybe even the king himself, Jesus, is going to end up where you are, John. And maybe that's okay in the gospel story when we don't know every detail. So my third point is simple, eternal expectations. Because Jesus had an incredible way of managing expectations. Our series of actually bring prisoners of hope in the fact that we are called to be prisoners of our expectations. We are called to have these eternal expectations on the promises that Jesus makes, which are eternal promises that He will not break and that are faithful and true in every way. And yet there are some challenges on this side of eternity. And it goes like this and continues in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, remember, John's disciples have gone off to Jesus. They've spoken to Him and Jesus replies to them in this way. 
Go back and report to John what you see in here. Take this testimony. Take what you see to the man who sent you, to John the Baptist. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's a radical response. Jesus knows word for word it'll get back to John sitting in his prison cell with the rats running around and the other inmates who deserve to be there. And Jesus strings together a bunch of quotes from Isaiah. He pulls all the good ones in like, actually the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the kingdom of God is being advanced, people, the poor are being fed and looked after. It's all these amazing miracles. John, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. But I can only imagine as John is listening, he's saying, I know that. He's quoting Isaiah. Those are the promises in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 14 and Isaiah 6. Those are the promises. Yes, keep going. Why? Because John knew in Isaiah 61, there was a promise that could have helped him. There was this promise to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. See, that's in the promises of Isaiah. And yet Jesus tells him, take back this message. And you know what they leave out? To set the captives free. To set the prisoners to come out of their darkness. And John's going, Guys, guys, just hold on. You quoted every, are you sure he didn't say prisoners? No, no, John, he definitely, guys, are are you sure he didn't say set the captives free? No, John, he didn't. See, it was Jesus' way of speaking to the eternal perspective and the eternal expectations in John's heart. Saying, John, I know the price you've paid and I know what you fought for and I know what the gospel you preach and you've seen miracles and you've seen wonders. And we're seeing it. Everything you prophesied about, we're seeing it. This isn't bad. This is good. And John hears those words and realizes he'd taken his eyes off the big story for a bit. His expectations had pulled him into a story to say, hey, what does this mean for me? Tell John. I can imagine Jesus, he's basically saying, tell John that we're seeing the first bits of that kingdom breaking into the world and you played a spectacular part. And then the disciples turn away. John's still reeling hearing that. Reeling hearing Jesus quote all these beautiful quotes from Isaiah, but not saying set the captives free. Why? Because Jesus so loved them, he didn't want to... I suppose tease his heart in that way. He leaves that one quote out of the quote in Matthew 11. And then it carries on as John's disciples were leaving. So they're still there. They're still listening. They're still gonna take the story back to John. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, Those who wear fine clothes are king's palaces, are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, Jesus now has given the mission and the message to the disciples to take back to John. But he knows they're there. They're close. So he starts speaking. 
And he says this, and he uses this statement, a reed swayed in the wind. Did you go out to the desert when you went to go see John in the desert and he was preaching the gospel of repentance and baptism? Were you going out to see a reed swayed in the wind? The amazing thing, a reed swayed in the wind was the very thing that Herod put on his signet ring. It was the very symbol and sign of Herod in his life. And he's saying, did you go out there to see another Herod? Or did you go out to see it to see a picture and a sign of an eternal promise? Someone God gave for a season to set you free. Jesus is reminding John of the bigger story. Jesus is changing the whole game. He's flipping it all on his head. And now he's not just teaching John. He's not just teaching his disciples. He's not just teaching John's disciples. He's teaching the crowd and he's teaching us. And he's reminding us that actually in these times, we cannot be surprised by the challenge and the trial. We cannot be surprised that we are facing opposition. We live in a hard world. You don't always get the soft treatment that you desire. But Jesus is saying to the crowd and he's speaking to his cousin in jail, facing imminent death and the anxiety and the anguish of all that he would facing at the time. And he's saying, it's worth it. When you live with eternal expectation deep down in your soul, it is worth it. All the challenges and the trials, and you might see glorious things on this side of eternity, but if you see challenge and trial, but you've seen the eyes open, you've seen the blind walk, you've seen marriages come from dead to life again, it's worth it. Why? Because with an eternal expectation, you know, this is not the end. This is not at how play, it plays out. Let's be honest, Jesus' ministry on this earth to those around him would, would have looked like an absolute disappointment if they'd had expectation that he would flip the kingdom on its, earth, on its side, especially on the cross. But the amazing thing, the story didn't end there. Three days later, he rose again. See, I want to tell you this as we land. Why can we be prisoners of hope and prisoners of our expectations? Because Jesus always deliver, delivers and Jesus always over-delivers on His promises, His presence, and His power. And He says, have expectations of me. I am faithful and I am true. But the amazing thing, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I think Jesus still would have known that John's disciples would have been close. They would have been listening. And they were taking every word back to their leader who was in prison and facing imminent death. These are the beautiful words, and they're the beautiful words for you today. If your expectations have been unmet, in marriage, in life, maybe even with God, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I can just imagine John in prison hearing those words, looking at a circumstance which he was so anxious about, dealing with unmet expectations, maybe disappointment, maybe pain, maybe just rage, and then those words wash over his soul, come to me. Be reminded that I never came for the next five minutes of your life, I came for your eternity. Be reminded that my blood gets far deeper than the challenges of this world. It gets into your eternal story, which nothing else can touch. And I imagine John, and we don't know, 
but I imagine him sitting back in his cell knowing that he's facing imminent death at the hands of an unjust king. Being reminded of the eternal story. Being reminded that God always over-delivers on our eternal expectations. And that in this life, maybe we'll start out with great expectations. And then in the middle somewhere, because the middle is always a challenging part, there will be some unmet, failed expectations. And maybe those unmet expectations will align with some promises that were never promised. So we have to run the bases again and go back to the promises. But it has to land us back in eternal expectations. What God has said about eternity and the promise that He will be with you always for now and to the ends of the age. That His promises are bigger than and greater than any circumstance or challenge. And when we stand on them, they bring strength to us even in a prison sometimes. See, our lives have a purpose. So we remain prisoners of promises, prisoners of His presence, prisoners of His power and prisoners of purposes. But I want to tell you that as the poor cousin John the Baptist sat in that prison and he got the words back and then he was waiting for set the captives free, set the, and they didn't come. But his disciples get speaking and they said, but he said this, come to me or who are weary. And John would have sat back, breathed, remembered his Savior and his King. Anxiety off his shoulders. I want to pray for you today. Maybe that's the simple prayer you need. I want to, maybe that's what you need. You just need to come to Him who are weary. Just come. Stop trying to work it out. Stop trying to fight through it. Number one, I want to pray for you. If you've got unmet expectations with this world, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you've got unmet expectations in that regard, I want to pray for you. And secondly, if you've got expectations and challenges of failed expectations with Jesus, why? Because your eternal perspective didn't determine your steps. I want to remind you that He is glorious. And above it all, can we pray together as I land today? God, we Thank you for the story you lay out so profoundly. The challenge of John sitting in that prison, waiting for the word, set the captives free, and you don't, you don't say it. But what you say is far more profound. Come to me, not for now, but forever. You remind us that you are bigger than, you are greater than, you are higher than, you are more glorious. I pray for every person now who need to let the walls down and allow themselves to come to you at this time. I pray, Spirit of God, you are with us. Reveal the King at this time. He is faithful. He is glorious. He is Jesus. And all our hope is in Him. He is faithful. He is glorious. He is Jesus. And all our hope is in Him. We place our hope in you today. Amen. We love you. We're praying for you. Come to him, all who are weary. He loves you and he is faithful.